are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Doing great, Noah. How are you doing? Doing really well. Happy Friday to everyone out there, especially... Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us today for the entire first hour of the show. Football right around the corner. Christian, how you doing today? I'm doing really, really good. I am so excited now that we finally, we're finally getting to the end of fall camp. You know, fall camp is great and all, but it starts to drag a little bit towards the end. You just get excited for the actual games, and now we're there, or close. Week zero is tomorrow, so we are there. Now, Auburn, not necessarily, but there is an open practice tomorrow, and I'm kind of curious if more people will be like like putting out a Twitter poll or something like that. We should do this by the end of the day. Would you be more interested in going to Auburn football's open practice tomorrow or sitting at home and watching Nebraska at Illinois for big noon kickoff on Fox <laughs> or UConn at Fresno State? Which, which would you rather be doing? Honestly, I think that it will be – I think more people would be interested in watching the UConn-Fresno State or Nebraska-Illinois football games. I would be. I know that sounds bad, but it's real live football. It's not an open practice. Yeah, you can only really get so much out of an open practice, and it's not like they're going to show off a ton, but it's still a good opportunity for the fans to be able to go out and see some stuff. So, In his media availability and on Tiger Talk this week, Brian Harson seemed to be positive about the direction this team is going after a week of practice following this second scrimmage, which some people would describe as pretty disastrous for the offensive side of the football what takeaways have you had about this team during this last week of fall camp uh some of the takeaways of I mean we've only really been able to hear what the coaches and Brian Harson and these players have told us which has been positive look you said it after that second scrimmage the reports were not great I'll, I'll go with that we'll call it that but it seems like the coaches are happy with the direction that they're trending in. Is that just coach speak? I don't really know. We really won't find out until week three against Penn State. You're not going to really find that out against Akron or Alabama State. But so far, the coaches at least seem to be excited by where they're at or content with where they're at. I don't know about you, but I just don't get the vibe that these coaches are going to be the type to sugarcoat it, even to the media, and say that everything's all right when it's not all right. You know, I don't necessarily disagree with you there, but I think there comes a point where they have to sugarcoat it a little bit because they can't go out and say, this guy directly needs to get better. They can't kill a player's confidence like that or kill a position group's confidence. So I think I think at times during fall camp, you did hear that out of Brian Harson saying, hey, we need more consistency. These guys aren't looking great quite yet, and we'll get there. Now it's so late into fall camp. If it's not looking good, you probably just got to sugarcoat it a little bit and try and give that position group some vote of confidence. Right, and if you're going to sugarcoat it, obviously there are some things that Auburn needs to work on. In your mind, what is probably the biggest thing that is concerning heading into preparation week one against Akron? Uh, it'd probably be two things for me. It would be the offensive line, 
and how the play shakes out there. Um, the offensive line has struggled with injuries and COVID throughout this fall camp, along with the cross training. So they really haven't had a good opportunity to get a set five and a two deep. Now Brian Harson did give us a two deep um, during his media availability earlier this week. So it seems like that's what they're going to roll with for the remainder of fall camp before the Akron game. So that could be a good opportunity for them to really start solidifying. And then the second one would be the quarterback play. I have not heard great things out of really any of the quarterbacks. D. Davis has been pretty good, but he's playing against third strings and walk-ons. So take that for what it's worth. And Bo Nix and TJ Finley both haven't been incredible. They've they have taken some steps forward, but at the same time, they've also struggled in other areas. Yeah, and that's something that Brian Harson talked about at the quarterback spot after he was asked that during his Zoom meeting. He said that it's always one guy until it's not. What does that mean, and what do you take away what from that? What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in, in that sense, in the way he was talking about it, he was talking about, you know, Bo is running with the Blues right now. He's the starter, so it's him. But, you know, maybe just something happens and then it's not him and it's TJ Finley. I, I think that's what he was going for. But basically saying that Bo Nix needs to continue to compete that at any point, if he's not playing his best, then it could be somebody else. I think that's what he was going for. Yeah, man. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> that's pressure right there. But this entire fall camp, it's been about putting pressure on these quarterbacks do you think Bo Nix has been the QB who has handled that the best? Or do you think maybe it's somebody else? You know, I don't know if Bo Nix really has been the guy that's handled it the best. The scrimmage reports have not been great. Now, Brian Harson did point out in the Zoom that, you know, we don't get to see the scrimmage. We just hear some of the results like, oh, there were a couple interceptions. Harson said they were working third and long. They're working on situations where they're backed up. So they're putting these quarterbacks in tough spots. And that could lead to some of the results. But Bo has really not had an incredible fall camp. If I had to pick... Between Bo and TJ Finley, because I think those are the really the only two guys that will compete for starting snaps this year, I think TJ Finley might have had a little bit of a better fall camp than Bo Nix did. Enough to seriously close the gap here at the quarterback position, because that kind of goes back to the question that we just asked you about Brian Harson's comments about the quarterback position and how it's one guy until it's not. Is the reason for that comment because a guy like TJ Finley has potentially closed the gap there at the quarterback position? I think he has certainly at least narrowed the gap and gotten a lot closer than you know maybe people thought. For a while there, it really just looked like, okay, it's Bonix, and it's Bonix for sure this year. You know, Maybe TJ gets in at some point. Now it seems like it's a situation where it's like, well, it's Bo, but for how long? It's one guy until it's not. That is so bewildering to me because after watching Bonix play his first two years, I never got the feeling that Auburn should move on to someone else. Now, I know that he had negative performances on the road, negative performances against good teams, but from watching Auburn quarterbacks over the last decade, I knew it could be much worse than what <laughs> we were getting out of Bo Nix over the last couple of years. And after comparing what Bo Nix did the first two years of his career at Auburn versus what TJ Finley did at LSU last year with a little bit better of an offensive line and better receiving play, I was like, is this really going to push Bo Nix? And I'm kind of in disbelief that he would have regressed this much. And that's kind of competing with the comments that the coaching staff puts out there, which seems to be relatively positive about the quarterback position. So I'm just kind of confused as to what to believe about the quarterback position. Yeah, the comments have been relatively positive. Like you said, I've heard there have been a fair amount of accuracy issues specifically for Bo Nix. Um, they're really trying to 
iron out some of the issues that he had his first two seasons, not throwing off his back foot, not rolling out so quick. So they're trying to fix some of these issues, and it's kind of causing some new issues while they do that. Now, with that being said, I still think Bonix is the guy. I think he starts and finishes the year as the starting quarterback. Maybe TJ gets a game in there at some point if Bo struggles or something. But I think Bonix is the guy, and I, I'm not overly concerned about what we've heard in fall camp so far. Yeah, and I would add on to it and say, you know, whenever Finley committed to Auburn over the summer, everybody was just kind of like viewing it as like, oh, it's going to push Bo Nix to perform better. Obviously, we've seen Nix regress, but aren't we thankful to have a guy like Finley in the in the quarterback room and Harson saying positive things about him like he's certainly learning things he's he's coming along mechanically he's figuring things out it, it isn't it great to have a guy like that as your backup yeah I mean that's huge for Auburn it just gives them so much more versatility and right. you know they have that option if they want to and also just a safety measure if Bo Nix were to go down I mean you don't want Grant Loy out there no, you don't. No, you don't. That's nothing against Grant Loy. I'm just saying we can all see it from the spring <laughs> game and, and a little bit we saw last year. You do not want Grant Loy. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. If you got any questions for us, Christian Clemente here with us for the entire first hour of the show. Let's switch to the defensive side of the football. Here's what we know. Donovan Kaufman will be starting at Nickelback. What does this mean for Kaufman? And also, what does this mean for the other positions in the defensive backfield, namely the safety spot? Yes, yeah, so the safety spot I would look at, it seems to be by Narius Knighton. And he'll be paired alongside Smoke Monday. You also have guys that will rotate in at that spot. Um, Zion Puckett, Ladarius Tennyson. I think all of those guys will get some time um, behind by Darius and Smoke at safety. As for Donovan Kaufman, I'm really not shocked that he found a starting spot somewhere. I heard... You know, he only played a little bit at Vanderbilt, but I heard incredibly high things about his play and also just about how he approaches his game and practice and whatnot. So it's really not surprising at all to see him get a starting spot. And he's also working as the starting kick returner, to my knowledge, as well. So it seems like Ladarius Tennyson was the one player in the defensive backfield that just lost a ton of ground when fall camp rolled around because there was such high reports, such high praise for him from this coaching staff and from fellow players back in the spring. And you kind of wonder, was that just a spring fling? Because there are other players that seem to have overtaken Ladarius Tennyson. Because we were talking about him in the light of being a starter, whether it was at nickelback or at safety. And now it's like, well, Kaufman's starting at nickelback. And then you've got Knighton and Puckett even rising up the depth chart at the other safety spot. Where does Tennyson fit in this defense? Yeah, I don't. I never really understood the move of him going back to safety in the spring, personally. I thought he was a pretty solid nickelback last year and that he could end up being that guy again this year. And then they moved him to safety in the spring, and I think that kind of messed with his playing time maybe. You know, it is an opportunity now where he can see the field at multiple positions. He could be that backup nickel and a backup safety and get on the field in a couple different spots, but he certainly did fall down the depth chart a little bit. Who's the other starter at outside corner alongside Roger McCreary? So far, it's been Nehemiah Pritchett, um, and Jalen Simpson has gotten some snaps there as well. I know Sean Miller. Now what happened he, to that guy? He's been banged up a little bit, to my knowledge, this fall. So he'll see the field eventually. He's incredibly talented, but so far it's Nehemiah Pritchett opposite Roger. Right. That's what I was going to ask you about Miller. Is, you know, last time I heard, he was working with the third team, and I didn't know. Because he's obviously a really talented player. I just was confused as to why they had him out there working with the third team, but... Uh, if he if he's banged up, you know it's obviously understandable. I hope uh, hope he's able to recover. Another guy I wanted to ask you about is Marcus Harris, somebody that we have heard a lot of positive things about. Is he going to be starting for Auburn? 
I would fully expect him to be starting along that defensive line. I think it'll be Tony Fair at the the nose tackle position, and then Marcus Harris and Colby Wooden as those other two kind of defensive ends in a three four. And then along the edge, you know, you'll have guys like Derek Hall, Ekuliota, um, just some other guys like that. So I would expect Marcus Harris to play. He has been a guy that, whether it's Derek Mason or players, cornerbacks, I mean, shoot, even offensive linemen that we've gotten to talk to so far this fall, every single time they point to Marcus Harris as a guy that's been really, really good along that defensive line. Chandler Wooten had high praise for him yesterday when he said, when that guy's in front of me, I know I'm good because he's reliable. That That says a lot. I'm just bewildered as to how the previous coaching staff missed this guy. He played in Montgomery right underneath their noses. How do you miss a guy like that? Yeah, I. to be fair, a lot of other schools yeah. apparently ended up at Kansas. It, it's, a good, it's a good example of how valuable the transfer portal is for a program like Auburn and how much it hurts a program like Kansas. They can go out and do the dirty work, find whatever other program is missing in Montgomery, find two-star Marcus Harris, he goes and shines at Kansas, and then the bigger schools can come in and just kind of pluck him out of Kansas. So it, it shows off the, the good and the bad of the transfer portal, depending on how you're looking at it, I guess. To be fair, though, moving forward, maybe places like Kansas will be able to get a higher echelon of recruit right out the gates. Now they'll lose them after a year or two, but <laughs> you might start seeing higher-end three-stars going to lower-end locations in college football because other programs, such as Auburn, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson, will be picking off those players from other teams in the transfer portal and will only be reserving so many high school recruit spots in their classes to four- and five-star players. Yeah, certainly. I think so. And it's a good opportunity for the players. I mean, just like you were saying, it's a good opportunity for the players to go and play instantly, make an impact, and then take the next step. Looking at the defensive line as a whole. Sorry, Lance. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry. Obviously... Harris is a product of player development, right? Uh, for for this coaching staff to find this hidden gem and then get him to the point where he could potentially be a starter. Is there a guy on this defense that we're not talking about enough that could potentially break out or be a hidden gem that the coaching staff could develop? You know, I think this is just kind of a player crush. I've always liked him a lot. I think he's a very talented player, and it would be Zykevius Walker. Um, he played a little undersized last year. He was forced to play defensive tackle when – He did not really have a defensive tackle body. You still saw him out there. He'd get pushed around a little bit, but he was fighting out there. It might not be a situation where he's a starter this year, but I think he'll get some snaps. He's grown a little bit, and maybe by next year he could be really, really good on that defensive line. Something about a defensive lineman wearing number three seems beastly. I'm here (laughs) for it. If you're going to wear a single digit and you're on that defensive line, you better be an absolute unit. I'm high up on Zakivas Walker, too. I'm sad that we haven't heard as much about him throughout fall camp. But then again, you hadn't heard a whole lot about Colby Wooden. And yesterday, his name gets dropped by Owen Papo, saying that he had the best camp out of any of those defensive linemen. I know sometimes you kind of I feel like the questions throughout fall camp to the players and and media availability has been about these new players Mm -hmm. and that's easy because there are a ton of new players going to the program and that's what people want to know how are these guys going to impact this defense but it's easy to forget about the best defensive lineman from last year and Colby Wooden and I'm kind of curious how good he could actually be this year I think he's going to be an animal and you know it's a funny point we we don't really talk about Colby Wooden I mean, on the offensive side, I feel like we don't even talk about Tank Bigsby that much. It's just kind of established, oh, that's a top three running back in the country Auburn has. Okay, moving on. Uh, you know, what do you think about Jarquez Hunter? Um, that's so true, like that, though. But, so true. Yeah. 
It's like how many questions really have been asked about Tank this offseason? Think about not it. Not many at all. But but that's just because everybody really knows what Tank brings to yeah. Auburn. And along the defensive line, everybody knows that Colby is that guy on the defensive line. Last question to you before we go to break. What type of progression has this defensive line made? Because Chandler Wooten said they're going in the right direction. I think they've made a ton of progression. You know, looking at the defense, um, even before they brought in some transfers, the secondary was always solidified. You felt really, really good that they could be an excellent secondary. You knew that the linebackers, especially once Chandler Wooten returned and some of these younger guys took a step forward, you knew they could be a really good to an excellent linebacker core. The defensive line, you thought, okay, this is an average, maybe an above average defensive line. I think they've progressed to maybe good or they could be really good. Um, these defensive linemen have been really good. The edge rushers have gotten a ton of hype this camp. Whether it's Derek Hall, Eculiota, Romello Height has gotten a ton of hype. So they've finally got some quick guys off the edge that I think can generate a lot of pressure um, on the opposing quarterback, which will be huge for Auburn. So this defensive line and the front seven specifically seems to have taken a huge step forward because that was really the only question mark about the defense. It was, are other teams just going to be able to run all over this defensive line? And I don't think that's the case anymore. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we do our Saturday selections. We have real college football tomorrow, and Christian Clemente going to do his best to pick some teams that are a little bit closer to where you hail from in Montana. There's some there's some Mountain West football tomorrow, so we'll we'll get his thoughts on some of those games tomorrow as well, and we'll give you our predictions when we come back. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show. Find him on Twitter, at CClemente underscore. Don't forget the underscore. Can't forget about the underscore. <laughs> I wish I could just have the original at without the underscore, but someone else has got it. In our book, you are the Christian Clemente. So I think Thank that's you. how I'll introduce you you from now on is as the Christian Clemente volbertsports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show it's time for college football yet again gentlemen we can do a pick segment on a Friday afternoon it's time for Saturday selections Saturday selections hi gentlemen we have four games right here to go over Nebraska Illinois UConn Fresno State Hawaii UCLA and UTEP New Mexico State I left off San Jose State in Southern Utah. Quick question to you, gentlemen. What is the nickname of Southern Utah? The Thunderbirds. I was, I was, I had no idea, no idea. Oh, I thought Sting it was, was going to be Screaming us. Eagles. I thought it might be that, but I got Fact mixed up me. with another one. Fact check me, but I'm pretty sure it's Thunderbirds. That's electric. <laughs> it is. I think that'll end up being an okay football game. Yeah, it um, is. Because San Jose State is still one of those favorites, I think, or should be one of those favorites in that Mountain West Conference this upcoming year. But we're going to stay out in the Big Ten here to start it off. Nebraska at Illinois. This game can be seen at 12 p.m. on Fox Big Dude kickoff ball game tomorrow. Let's start with Lance. 
Who you got? So I went back and forth on this one, obviously. We were talking about it a little bit before we went on the show. Scott Frost in Nebraska heading into another year with quarterback Adrian Mar- Martinez. Can he take the next step? Can this team take the next step? They're uh, going through some issues off the field right now, some allegations. I'm going to take Illinois to win this one. They bring back 15 starters. They beat uh, they beat Nebraska on the road pretty badly last season. They get them at home. It's an 11 a.m. kick. I'm going to take Illinois and first-year head coach Brett Bielema to get it done. Well, first off, let me just say, you know, Cardell Jones, I didn't come here to play school. Uh, I get paid to cover Auburn. I don't know any of these teams, so don't make your bets (laughs) off of that. But I'll go with Illinois, too. Um, First-year head coach there. I like just Illinois to pull off an upset there. They want to make a statement. Yeah. I can vibe with that. I had a really hard time with this one because it's hard to gauge how much better Illinois is going to be this year with Brett Bielema. What is he going to add? I think he's a good Big Ten coach. It didn't work out in the SEC because I don't think he's that great of a recruiter. He's not. But he's going to get good line play out of his teams. He's going to be able to establish the running game. My questions revolve around the quarterback spot with Illinois, though. Their team completion percentage last year at the quarterback position, just 46%. Ouch. Exactly. Now, I think both of these teams are going to be able to run the ball. Neither of these defenses are great. I am going to rock with Nebraska, though. I'm going to be the odd man out here because Adrian Martinez, dual-threat quarterback, 71% completion percentage. Wasn't great. Only four touchdowns to three picks last year, but I think he gives them a better chance than any of the Illinois quarterbacks that are just awful. At least they were last year. So, And I'm not expecting Brett Billima with big boy offensive line play. I'm not expecting the O-line coach to get those guys going (laughs) in the right direction, but I could be wrong. It is, once again, in Champaign. We'll go to our second game here, UConn at Fresno State. UConn back playing football after taking off last year, Lance. 1 p.m. CBS Sports Network. So Fresno State has 18 starters coming back. They had one of the best passing attacks in the entire country last season, fifth nationally, first in the Mountain West in total yards per game. I mean, this is just a really talented team. They're, it's like it's the it's the Mississippi State, what they want to be, right, in terms of the air raid and the success that they want to have. Yes, Mississippi State wants to be Fresno State. Exactly, yes. I'm going to pick Fresno State to win this game, and normally whenever you go and look at ESPN's F PI. If a team is predicted to win somewhere between 90 and 99%, it's usually against an FCS school. Fresno State has a 94.9% chance to beat UConn. And these are two D1 schools. That's it? That's that's. <laughs> I thought it would be a higher percentage chance. <laughs> that's pathetic. That is just pathetic. So, so Fresno. Yeah, Fresno by a lot. Uh, yeah, we're talking about football here, so you can definitely give me Fresno State, uh, former home of Burt Watts, and Sign me up for the Fresno State. What are they, the Bulldogs? They are the Bulldogs. Perfect. Sign me up for the Bulldogs. 27 and a half point favorites are the Fresno State Bulldogs tomorrow. I don't know if they cover, but UConn, I don't think it's going to work out for them coming back from a year where they didn't play football. Two years ago when they did play football, they only won like two ball games. They've been one of FBS's worst programs for the last four or five years. It's like restarting a program coming off of not playing last year and New Mexico State's going to be in a similar boat when we talk about them later I just can't vibe with UConn in this game so I'm going to go with Fresno State as well let's go to the game that has Lance's eyes attached to it 2.30 p.m. ESPN, Hawaii at UCLA. So right now I'm picking UCLA to win, but I would like to see uh, Hawaii cover that 17.5 point spread. Look, UCLA is one of the most experienced teams in all of college football coming back this year. They're, I believe they're eighth in Bill Connolly's uh, returning uh, percentage of production. 92% of their production comes back this season. 
Uh, offensively, they're incredibly balanced, but they do like to run the football, and something that Hawaii struggled to do last year is stop the run. I believe they gave over 220 uh, yards rushing per game. UCLA averaged about 230. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the, the quarterback for UCLA, I think he's going to have to a fantastic day both through the air and on the ground. I'm going to take UCLA to win this one, but I do want to see Hawaii cover because they have that really special running back. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. I can pull him up, but he's incredibly versatile. <laughs> he's incredibly versatile. Uh, we've talked about this guy all week, and now the one time I need to actually talk about him, can't remember his name. Shame on me. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with UCLA. I actually I like this UCLA team, and I kind of like them a little bit in week one against LSU. It's a little sneak peek there, but I do I like this UCLA team. As do we. I don't think that they pulled the upset, but that line at the time a couple of weeks ago when the lines first were released, maybe over a month ago now, but we were taking a look at those week one college football lines, and I think it was only a touchdown for LSU. I think it was six points. Mm -hmm. It's currently at four, according to CBS Sports. Woo! I'll probably take LSU on, on the four points there, but still, I think it's a one-possession ball game, or maybe ten at when it's all said and done, but it was a late score or something like that for LSU to put it away. And by the way, the running back, Calvin Turner Jr., had over 1,300 rushing yards in two seasons at Howard, uh, also played quarterback there um, for, for a little bit. Might have split time with Kalen Newton. Um, and then he's been used primarily as a receiver slash running back for the uh, Rainbow Warriors. Incredibly versatile guy. If they're going to keep it within 17 and a half, he's going to be the guy to make it happen. I'm going with UCLA in this game. I think the offense is going to be too much for Hawaii. Hawaii's going to be able to score. UCLA's defense isn't very good either, but I think that at the end of the day, you're looking at something like 41-27, maybe a little bit more than that. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, also down to run. This guy's one of the better dual-threat quarterbacks, if not the best dual-threat quarterback in college football this upcoming year. Last game to pick, UTEP at New Mexico State, 8.30 p.m., and I am so angry that the battle for I-10 is not televised. So angry. But let's pick it. We got about a minute. Yeah, so both these teams were pretty, pretty bad last season, and you can kind of go back and forth. You could. This is this is a toss-up game in my mind, but I'm going to pick UTEP to win it. Uh, something that you mentioned off there, it's the first time in a while that they will love win, it will have uh, won the battle for, uh, for I-10. ESPN's FPI gives them almost a 70% chance to win this game. I'm going to take UTEP, even though historically they've been offensively inept. They averaged about 23 points per game last season. Both these defenses are terrible. They gave up both 30, over 30 points per game. Again, it's kind of a toss-up in my mind, but I'm going to pick UTEP because New Mexico State, they, they did some really bad things last season against some really bad teams. In the spring, they did some really bad things. Split with an FCS spring schedule, one and one. Lost to Tarleton State, and I think they beat Dixie State. Was not a good spring for New Mexico State, and they only bring three starters back on the entire football team. Quick pick there, Christian. Uh, UTEP, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, three UTEPs there. I'm here for it. When we come back, we still got 30 minutes with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. We go back to what he covers, recruiting. We'll talk a little bit about that with him when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lansdahl with the ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us for the entire first hour of the show. Just did our Saturday selection segment. Got to get some picks from everybody here in the room for four games tomorrow. Week zero of college football back. We did not pick the Southern Utah-San Jose State football game. Uh, I bet you can kind of expect why we did it. But this is one of the more fun names 
that you might see tomorrow if you're watching football. This is Southern Utah linebacker Laakia Kaho Ohanohano Davis. That is his name. That is a fantastic name. That uh, it is. It is. It, it is. It has topped any other name we could have to- possibly talked about during our Auburn schedule analysis. Whenever we uh, we were breaking down other teams, I mean that is a great name right there. And that's the nightcap tomorrow night, 9 p.m. CBS Sports Network. But we picked the games that feature all Division One FBS teams, as we should have. So. That was our Saturday selections in the previous segment. Now let's get to what Christian Clemente actually covers, <laughs> which is recruiting for AuburnSports.com. Take us through. What's the latest? You had a big Thursday that saw a lot of commitments just a couple of weeks ago. Mark Kelly, Trey Donaldson, those guys committed to Auburn. Now where's the next wave of guys? Yeah, so I would say the next two to really look out for are Darius Clemens. The four-star wide receiver out of Portland, Oregon. He will be here for the Akron game, which is huge for Auburn. What are the odds that you leave with a commitment that day? I don't know if you leave with a commitment that day, but I really, really like Auburn. Like, it was a situation where I was trending Auburn. Now it's a situation where I'm favoring Auburn. I'm probably going to put in a future cast for him pretty soon. So he's coming up soon. That's a guy that, not that the wide receivers at Auburn aren't talented right now, but he could be the best of the bunch the second he gets here. He is incredibly talented. So that would be a huge get for Auburn. That would be one of the best gets of the entire class, stealing him out of Oregon, against Oregon, against Penn State. So he's one to look out for. And then the other guy I would look at would be Drew Bobo, the offensive tackle at Auburn High, who will probably play offensive guard at the next level. Obviously, Mike Bobo's son. It was trending Georgia for a while there. Feels like Auburn has kind of flipped the script a little bit and probably leads for him right now, and he's expected to make his uh, decision within the next probably four to six weeks or so. August 19th was supposed to be a really big recruiting day for Auburn, and it was, but a guy that we were expecting to recruit, or at least announce his commitment that day, uh, that pushed his commitment date back was Zion Cruz. What happened to him? Zion Cruz, here's what I can tell you. If Auburn decides that they want Zion Cruz, they have Zion Cruz. At the moment, Auburn does not want Zion Cruz, and they would like to wait and move on and maybe look at some other guys, so... I know that they really, really, really want Jarris Walker, that big power forward built like, like Zion. Zion yeah. Yep. They really want him. He is the number one target for this class, the Jabari Smith replacement, essentially. So, How far are we away from a commitment from him? I, I couldn't really tell you. He is. Yeah. Basketball seems to, yeah. like you're a little bit further away from getting some of these commitments from these guys. It's offer season right now. I'm seeing Auburn offering guys left and right, but commitments are a little bit lagging. Yeah. You know, he is a 2022 kid, so I would expect him to come in within the next two to three months or so. But Maybe try and handle things before the season really gets going. Yeah, um, but I mean, that's obviously a very far timeline, and Auburn, Alabama's in the mix, but I think Houston is the biggest competition here. It feels like an Auburn-Houston battle for Jarvis Walker. He really likes the Cougars, so Auburn's going to have to push really hard to get him. But See I think- a high riser? See, is he? Would he be a member of Phi Slamma Jamma if he were to go to Houston? Like, is this guy a, a dunk artist? Like, uh, uh, take me through his game. Yeah, he, I mean, his game is little like he's built like Zion Williamson. He plays like Zion Williamson. He is just more physical and bigger than everybody out there on the court. His shot still needs a little bit of work, but he does have a decent enough shot um, from the mid range, and he can also shoot the three decent enough that it gets the job done. But look, he's going to go out there and dominate to get rebounds. He's going to bully people out of the paint, and he is going to make his presence very well known very quickly. Going back to a guy that committed last week, Trey Donaldson, 
everybody's trying to figure out what is this guy going to play which sport is maybe his primary focus because you don't typically see football and basketball guys you you see football and baseball a lot of times you just don't see football and basketball because of the overlap of the seasons and it's easy to break it down Auburn will still have about four games left of their regular season when basketball season starts how does that work for Trey Donaldson when he steps on campus well I don't think it works uh to be brutally honest Trey is being being brought in excuse me as a point guard and a basketball guy to start my personal expectation is that he will never see the football field at Auburn I think he's a very good point guard I think he's a future in basketball, whether that's NBA or whatnot. These coaches really, really like him. He might just be a three-star. They like him. I trust the coaching staff. He's a five-star in their mind. So good enough for me. It, like you said, it, it's you do not see football and basketball anymore. It's just it's too physically hard for the players, for one thing. And also, it's a time thing. It's it's just impossible. It's really not possible. I do, you know, Trey is very committed to this. I think he will give it his best shot. But I just don't think logistically it's going to work out. So I would expect him to be a basketball-only guy at Auburn. And, and I don't know how you really get a shot at seeing the field in football when you are sharing time between the two sports because there are other young safeties on mm-hmm. this football mm-hmm. team that are devoting all of their time to football. It, it probably gives them a much better shot of playing. So why even play football if you're not even going to have a, a shot at starting? Of course, it's not for me to judge, not for me to make a decision for the kid. I, I hope that it does work out for him. That would be sick. To oh, be able to yeah. see that, you know, but it, it would it be is very difficult. It'd be very cool to cover a player like that. You know, you got Kool Aid McKinstry over at Alabama. He was a guy that Auburn was in the mix for. He would have been cool to cover. I don't, you know, he was a basketball football guy. From what I've heard, he's given up basketball and he's focusing on football, which is a good idea for him because he's a way better football player. I think Trey is a way better basketball player, and I think that's what he'll fo- well. That's I I know that's what he's focusing on to start, and I think long term that's what he'll focus on. Do you have a list of players? I know sometimes even basketball guys will come for visits for football games. Do you have a list of players, whether it be football or basketball, that will be on campus for the Akron game? I don't have for basketball. I know for football, um, a lot of the commits will be here. Uh, Guys like Kobe Albert, Holden Holden Gurner. I learned how to pronounce his last name. Gurner. It's just a hard kind of G. So he will be here. Uh, Damari Alston, Darius Clemens. I can't confirm this, but I would imagine Drew Boba will be here seeing that that's not that hard to be there (laughs) (laughs) um basketball wise i do not know who's going to be here quite yet i know there's actually a lot of 2023 kids that are going to be trying to come down for a game this fall um auburn just had its uh bruce pearl elite camp i guess it was last sunday and it was mostly filled with 2023 talent and a lot of the kids that i talked to said that they were going to try and make it down for a game at some point this fall so not the akron game but at some point Last question about football here before we go to basketball, opening up practice and whatnot. What is this coaching staff's approach to visits for this first game against Akron? Like, are they heaping a lot onto it because it's that first game back to Jordan Hare Stadium with full capacity in over a year? Yeah, I think they want to get, well, first off, they want to get as many kids here as possible. And a lot of that also comes with getting the commits here. Look, this is a quick side note. Damari Alston might end up being the best commit in this class in terms of how much he has helped this staff. I've been a little critical of how much momentum and how much hype they've been able to build for their recruiting class on social media. Damari Alston has solved all of those problems. He's tweeting all the time. He's on my timeline like every day. Yeah. He's tweeting all the time. He's tweeting at targets. He's tweeting at guys that are committed to other places saying, you know, come block for me, 
tweeting at wide receivers, whatnot. He's been fantastic. So they're getting these commits like Damari Alston, like Holden Gurner. They're getting these guys here to come and talk with these kids that aren't committed quite yet, but that Auburn wants. So I believe for the Akron game, there's going to be a solid group of kids that'll be here. And I should have more exactly next week, next Friday, that I can really give you the exact list of who will be here. But there's going to be a solid group of kids. Switching over to the basketball side of things, they're getting ready to start practice and ratcheting things back up. Take us through what's going on with Auburn basketball at the moment. Yeah, so they actually did resume practice this week. Um, They had just kind of a not an off day, but they just had a a small day on Monday, getting back into the swing of things a little bit. And then Tuesday, they had a scrimmage. So I was able to go and see the scrimmage. Um, That was pretty fun to watch, seeing some of these guys. Now that everybody is here and has been adjusted for a while, because Zepp Jasper missed a majority of the summer, and I never really got to fully see him. So now that he's been here for a while, it was good to see that. First off, him and Katie Johnson in a backcourt together is brutal for anybody that they're playing. Like, those two are absolute menaces out there on defense. That's what I love to hear. Yeah, uh, Jay Tate, the owner of AuburnSports.com, he calls Katie Johnson, uh, I think it was the master of psychology, because he will talk the opponent's head off. He will get in their head. (laughs) He will do everything to mess with them on top of being an incredible defender. So those two are really, really fierce backcourt to watch. I wanted to ask... You know, obviously Auburn's got so so much talent, both offensively and defensively. You've got Jabari Smith, uh, who could score a lot. You've got Walker Kessler, who you, who you could see score a lot. But after watching these guys play and, and watching some of these practices, who do you think is going to be Auburn's leading scorer? Not from a just, oh, he's going to be the guy that Auburn looks to, but in terms of just literal statistics, like points per game at the end of the season, who do you see the guy? Who do you see as the guy that finishes as the most dominant scorer on this team? Yeah, so before I really got to see some of the summer practices and now fall practices, I was saying Alan Flanagan. And I still really believe in Alan Flanagan, and I think he will be the second leading scorer. But I think Jabari Smith will be the leading scorer. He is the best college basketball player I've gotten to personally see in person. He is just on another level compared to the people around him. I think he could end up being Auburn's best shooter this year as well as the leading scorer. His shooting stroke is so smooth for a guy that's 6'10", 6'11". So... I'll go with Jabari Smith as the leading scorer. What's your comfort level? Of course, the NCAA, we all know they, they're losing their teeth. They're losing their ground on a lot of issues in college basketball. And I know there may not be a whole lot of information out there on this, but I'm just kind of curious. I want to gauge your comfort level with, you know, there was a last-minute news dump last year that said that Auburn wasn't going to an NCAA tournament. What's your comfort level that the NCAA won't be an issue for Auburn basketball this upcoming year? I really don't think it'll be an issue at all. The only issue... You know, Auburn went out and self-imposed that. They've done some other things. The only thing that I thought was still left would be maybe a scholarship would be taken away or something like that for this year and next year or something like that. We haven't seen that now, so I wouldn't expect to see it for this year. It could be a situation where you see it next year. The NCAA just takes forever for whatever reason on these certain issues, but I would not be concerned about an issue with Auburn basketball this year. Well, then take us through the good stuff. The scrimmage, my man, what'd you see? Yeah, I saw a lot of good stuff. Um One thing that I would really look at would be the mental aspect of this team. These guys are fighters. These guys are dogs. They're really tough. Um, I don't know if last year's team really had that. You know, I talked about Katie Johnson being kind of a a talker. He really likes to get in the other team's head. And I think I've talked about it on a show before one time. Jabari Smith's team lost, and then he turned around and just absolutely dominated the next game. I saw something similar to that in this scrimmage. So there was one situation where Walker Kessler – 
at the end of the second game, they played three scrimmage games. At the end of the second game, he overextended to try and get a steal on a pass to Dylan Cardwell. He missed the pass. Dylan Cardwell ran down and got a dunk. So that was a little bit, it's not necessarily Walker's fault, but it was a little bit of a defensive miscue. Probably should have played a little smarter. And then it was a tie game. They needed a three to win. Walker shoots it. It's just left, and it was an air ball. You don't see many of those out of Walker Kessler, but that was one of the ones. They ended up losing that game. Right after the game, he is, I mean, he is visibly upset, and you can hear it. He's upset. He comes over. You, you know, he's a little upset by the water cooler. He's off to himself just for a little bit. The coach, uh, I believe it was Ira Bowman, was leading that team. Says, all right, bring it in, guys. He comes in. He says, hey, that's my bad, y'all. That's my fault. That was pitiful. Let's go win this next game. So that was really good out of him. The very next game, he has the first three points on a dunk, and then I believe it was a three-pointer. So I really, really, really like the mental aspect that this team has. I think they're fighters. They're not happy with losing. Not that last year's team was happy with losing, but these guys just have a different mental edge than last year's team. They're growing up. They're getting tougher. Mm -hmm. What's the chemistry like? You think that's gelling now? I think it's starting to get a lot better, yeah. Um, I know you said turnovers were an issue, possibly a factor of that chemistry. Is that kind of... Is that fixing itself at this point, or is this still something that they're dealing with? It's still something that they're dealing with a little bit. You know, it's funny you hear in practice saying, all right, we need to limit our turnovers here. But then at the same time, they're saying, we need to force more turnovers. Like, well, you're practicing against each other. So if you're trying to force more turnovers, and then you're also, you know, the other Auburn team is yeah. turning the ball over more. It's kind of a interesting situation but there. But I did think the turnovers were a little bit better. And that's one thing that this coaching staff is really emphasizing. The exact quote was, that's Auburn basketball. They want to force a lot of turnovers this year. And I think with guys like Zeb Jasper, Katie Johnson, Alan Flanagan, Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, the list goes on. They have a ton of incredible defenders. A lot of length. A lot of length, yes. So they really want to force a lot of turnovers this year. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we wrap up all of our conversations here with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. We go back to football and what does he make of the two deep along the offensive line given by Brian Harson earlier this week? We'll be back. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up hour number one on the Friday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl, Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with you here on the show. We got about five minutes until we set you free for the weekend, my man. But first, <laughs> tomorrow, open practice. What's going on? Yeah, open practice. You know, I wish I had a little more. I don't really know entirely what's going to happen. I wouldn't. Nobody knows. <laughs> don't expect a scrimmage or anything, though. I'll say that. Probably just see some drills. It'll probably be similar to the open practice that we saw um, in the spring, outside of the fact that Brian Harson won't be there for the practice. And I think some other players will be missing because of COVID issues as well. But most everybody should be there, and you'll be able to get a little bit of a firsthand look at the team before the Akron game. That's kind of what I was thinking, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before we went on air. It's like, well, it's going, and I almost said this in the first segment. I'm like, well, this is probably just going to be like a, a the spring game, except it's it's there's no Brian Harson, and it's a little less organized. I feel like so. I mean, it, there are definitely things that are going to be that everybody's going to be looking at. Obviously, there's going to be a bunch of different storylines, but it's it's going to feel, I think, similar to what we saw in the spring. But we may see, I guess, a more polished version of Auburn. I think more polished is definitely fair. I, is there going to be another scrimmage before the Akron game? I I want to say there's a scrimmage today. Okay. I could be wrong on that. I wish I could tell you exactly. I want to say there's a scrimmage we'll today. We'll find out, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. But, yeah, I was like, is there going to be another one? I'm drawing a blank another on Another one. 
Yeah, there you go, DJ Khaled yes, over sir. there. You're actually wearing Auburn stuff today. It's not a. It's not a. You're not a part of the SEC hat of the day club anymore. I ran out of hats. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did. Yeah, I we we got like I think we actually got halfway through the SEC and then I just had to had to go back to Auburn stuff. So I got to pick up more hats, man. I got I got to expand my horizons. Well, you wore the Ole Miss hat yesterday, and Vault Hemingway was Gone set ablaze. So you know. <laughs> Now, oh, nothing. Man. How is that just purely coincidental? Probably because the other teams, you know, the other teams didn't have their stadium set ablaze when you wore their hats. Yeah, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, I mean, Auburn, Kentucky—they're all fun. Well, last question to, here to you before we get out of here: We got offensive line. We've got a two deep there from Brian Harson earlier this week. Austin Troxel, Brandon Council at left guard, Nick Brahms at center. Of course, that's all first team SEC. Nick Brahms, right guard Keandre Jones, who has missed a little bit of fall camp, getting banged up here and there, and then at right tackle Brodarius Ham. Of course, Brian Hartson, just like any coach, is going to say that they're still shifting, they're still cross-training. These are not set, but I kind of have a feeling this this is your offensive line going into Akron. That needs to be the offensive line, and I've said that since spring, assuming that they didn't get a transfer, which they should have, but they weren't able to get one. Not There weren't a ton of good options, but I've said from the get-go, this needs to be the combination. I know they liked Tayshawn Manning a little bit, and they liked having Brandon Council over at right guard. Keandre Jones is too good. They need to have him, and he's really comfortable at right guard. And he's young. Go yeah, ahead and, and get he's him some young. Playing time. So shift Council over. He's got that position versatility very easily. Him at left guard is perfect to get Keandre Jones on the field. The tackle situation is it just is what it is. You well, what is the word on Austin Troxel then? Because he's healthy and hopefully it stays that way going into the Acre game and throughout the whole season because this is a guy that actually possesses real talent. I mean, he's the last real offensive tackle that Auburn brought in via the, a recruiting class, and he was a four-star. I mean, he, he's got real talent there. This is not a three-star defensive tackle move to play left tackle for you anymore. I mean, this, this is a real player there. So what's the word at left tackle? Could this end up being a strength for Auburn? I don't know if I would necessarily consider it a strength, but I would consider it Stronger than Alec Jackson last year. No offense to Alec Jackson, but like you said, he was a converted defensive tackle as Bonix's blindside blocker. That's not a combination for success. So I do think Troxel, if he's able to stay healthy the full season, that's the big caveat there. Will he be able to stay healthy? He's missed part of fall camp, but I believe that was more of a COVID issue. Not him necessarily testing positive, but close contacts, stuff like that. So he has missed a little bit of time. He should be out there tomorrow. To my knowledge, he's back and practicing. So I don't know if I would consider it a strength, but stronger than last year. Communication, obviously, an issue for this offensive line at times. How much does having Brandon Council on the left side of the line help improve that left side of the line from just plain and simple, just not missing blocks? Yeah, I think he helps out a lot. I mean, he's the he's the oldest guy on this line. He's He played a long time at Akron, and he played all over the place. He's seen a ton of different stuff, so it, it's huge that Auburn has him back, and he is a guy that you know, maybe maybe Keontra Jones goes down with an injury. He can shift over to right guard, and then they bring in Tayshawn Manning at left guard or something like that. So they've got they got a lot of different options with him, but vocally he'll be really good for Auburn, and he'll really be able to help out Nick Brahms. Obviously it's been the focal point of the scrimmages that Auburn's been put in a lot of high-pressure situations, and it's not helped the quarterbacks. Do you think it benefits, or do you think it hurts the offensive line putting in them in those pressure situations all throughout fall camp? I think it's good for them because look, when they play against Georgia, they're gonna they, be eating their lunch. Yeah, they're 
That's an every play thing. To be brutally honest, they're outmatched when they play against Georgia. So put them in as tough of situations as possible to try and get them ready for that. Christian, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today for the entire first hour. Hope you have a good weekend, my man. Thank you. You guys as well. That was Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us. Go and check out all of his great content and the other great content there on AuburnSports.com. We'll be back with hour number two, a packed hour number two, coming up at 3 p.m. On the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. A fun hour number one there with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com dropping all the knowledge, all the info about football and basketball. Had a solid segment there with him about basketball and the practices with Auburn basketball getting started yet again and a scrimmage that they had, it sounds like this is going to be a very, 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 and just attach a ton of berries and then bang, fast forward, you're at good. A very, 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 very good basketball team uh, this upcoming year. Always enjoy speaking with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Starting off hour number two with our making headlines statement. Reportedly, the Big 12 is seriously considering adding BYU. This yeah. was the athletic that got on top of that this morning. Obviously, uh, some, of, some of the minds b- behind the Big 12 were listening to On the Line yesterday. They're like, oh, Pac-12? Actually, it'd be a pretty good idea if we added BYU to our conference instead. So there you go. Yeah, it would be an interesting move, something that you and I were talking about yesterday. Noah's I was looking at the uh, BYU schedule right now, how there's like five or six you know, uh, Pac-12 schools on it, and they've kind of kind of – They've hit their peak, right, as a program. At least we assume they have, and we wonder whether or not it would be a good move to to move into a conference right now, whether or not, the, not that would hurt them or help them. Uh, I think a conference like the Big 12, you look at the other schools within that conference, I mean, I think BYU would be able to at least be middle of the pack or keep up with some of those schools, right? Right, and I wonder what this does for basketball. It yeah. probably elevates them from a basketball standpoint be because fun. right now they play in the West Coast Conference in basketball. You get out from underneath Gonzaga, you go into a much tougher basketball conference, but I still think that it helps elevate you in your other sports because BYU as a football program, BYU as a basketball program has probably peaked at this point. Like It's not going to get better than making the tournament most years out of the West Coast Conference in basketball, and then on the football side, it's really not going to get better than what they did last year at 11-1 as an independent. I don't think it can get better as an independent. If they were to join the Big 12, though, you might be able to encourage some recruits that you're missing on right now, and you might be able to draw them in and say, hey, we're playing at least some reputable programs. Like, we're playing a Big 12 schedule, and the Big 12 is still going to frame itself as a Power 5 conference, even though other people are like, dude, 
you're not in the club anymore. We shrunk it. It's power four now. It's not power five. And, and it will emerge that way. But you can at least draw them to a better league and a better schedule than what they can currently play right now as an independent. Is there is there a, a group of five school right now that would overtake the Big 12 and potentially join the power five? Not saying that like it would actually happen, but if they, is there a talented enough, a talented enough group of five conference to, to maybe get into that power five discussion? I don't think so. Because the bottom half of all of these leagues are yeah. awful. I mean, you look, even the bottom half of the American is just straight up awful. I mean, USF has, some, has had some really bad football teams. You can look at several American athletic conference teams. You can see at the bottom, like, man, that is a terrible team. And they're, it's, it's the same way. It's even worse in Conference USA. I think it's even worse in Sunbelt. Like, across all of those group of five leagues, the bottom half is so not competitive that I don't think it's possible for them to overtake the Big 12 to get into that power five discussion whereas there are still I mean yes they did lose Texas and Oklahoma but there are some reputable programs that maybe aren't too far away with a couple of seasons from being able to run the Big 12 and elevate their recruiting also to the point where the Big 12 won't be what it was but at least they're going to still have some some top-end programs and it won't be so horrible going all the way down yeah, sure. Who are who are some of those programs that you think will will elevate themselves now that Texas and Oklahoma are out? Oklahoma State definitely is out from underneath the shadow of, and of course they'll still struggle with them on a recruiting standpoint, but they don't have to compete with them in their league anymore. TCU is another team that I would look at as well that now is not going to suffer losses right to Oklahoma every year, and they are now going to be able to recruit players in and say hey like we're competing for championships every year in this league there's now competition that is left that is going to give them a chance to compete for championships which will help them in turn on recruiting I don't know how much and once again I think the big 12 is I think it's done it is not going to be a power five league but I do think and I've said this on the show before and y'all disagreed with me about a month ago when all this was happening but I did say I think that you can go and cherry pick some teams in group of five football right now if you can go and be successful at landing all of the best group of five teams right now you can fix this league at least repair it enough to be semi-competitive it'll be better than the american it will be that fifth conference in football consistently and it can still be pretty decent football it it, it can be it can be entertaining and of course today with the announcement that supposedly or or the reports coming out that supposedly the Big 12 is seriously considering BYU BYU is one of those programs that I would have looked at Boise State is another one of those programs that I would look at UCF Cincinnati you're going to have to get out of this Texas Oklahoma fold inside the country where that's where all of your teams are I think at some point you probably are going to lose West Virginia because they just don't fit the map they just don't but There's no reason for the Big 12 to stay glued to just Texas, to just Oklahoma. The Big 12 should open it up and kind of do what the American Athletic Conference did because the American Athletic Conference, half of that league is pretty much South. I should just say Southern because there are Texas schools there, but there are also Florida schools. There's a Southern side to it, and then there's a Northern side to it. If you could take some of the better teams out of that, a UCF, a Cincinnati, maybe you can get Lafayette out of the Sun Belt, get some of the better teams out of these group of five leagues that have been consistently winning and have even been cracking in the top 25, 
as long as they're not far off on the East Coast, I think you got a decent shot at convincing them to join the league. And I think it does elevate the league from what you have left right now. From the crumbs that are left, I think it does elevate it and make it better. And if that is the case, how important is it for the Big 12 to te- to keep a team like Kansas? Obviously, because of the basketball uh, talent oh, Kansas that they bring. Kansas is must hold on to They at have this point. to have them, yes. yeah, with or without the addition of... Uh, Iowa State's another team I think they have to hold on to. You can't lose any members other than, and I think you can lose this team because, once again, they just don't fit the map. You could lose West Virginia and you would be okay. That's just What, what is one more team going to do? And West Virginia is not the lifeblood of the Big 12 Conference. But I will say this, it does hurt you from a basketball standpoint to lose West Virginia. And I also think it, it, it does hurt you a little bit on the football side. You could stomach to lose them, but it does hurt you a little bit. West Virginia doesn't get enough respect for how big of a fan base that they have on the football side of things. And they are one of the better basketball programs currently in college basketball. They do offer things to the league. The problem is they can offer something to the ACC, which is a lot closer to home for them. And geographically, with their rivalries, it's a lot better of a fit to get them to play Syracuse, Pittsburgh, and all of those schools over again. So if West Virginia is going to move to the ACC, does the ACC kick somebody out, or do they add West Virginia and another team in? I think they could add another team in and I think we all know who that team would be Notre Dame eventually the line will be drawn in the sand where Notre Dame will have to join a conference and Notre Dame already plays basketball there they're already they play all of their other sports with the ACC football's the only one where they're just like wanting to do their own thing and at some point I think the ACC can be like look just come on let's do this thing and last year it worked they even came to the ACC last year for for college football and guess what the ACC was interesting we cared a little bit more. We did. I think we would all agree that the ACC race last year was a little bit more interesting because it had Notre Dame a part of it. It elevated matchups like not just the Notre Dame-Clemson game, but it also elevated matchups between Notre Dame and North Carolina. It made the Coastal even more interesting because that now put a losable game on their schedule, those those teams, and, and of course they got rid of divisions, but if Notre Dame were to come in, it could add a losable game for those teams on the other division that just makes their league a lot tougher it it, it adds competition to it similar to the SEC everybody's just groaning when they see Georgia's on their schedule Arkansas's like kill me now you know but it makes the competition of the league that much better to add them in I hate to derail this segment a little bit but I've not gotten your thoughts on this Noah I don't think we've really talked about it much at all you talk about divisions there and about how competitive it was and how fun it was without them are you for or against divisions in college football like do you think the SEC once it expands they should just go 16 teams and then rotate teams out like they do in basketball I'm going to miss the divisions but at 16 teams I think you do need to move away from divisions with that being said I hope that does not sacrifice I hope they can find a way to keep deep south's oldest rivalry happening Mm -hmm every single season that's going to be difficult especially if you take the nfl model on scheduling you'll there's a very good chance if they were to take that nfl scheduling model that you would lose deep south oldest rivalry on a year you're in and you're out basis which i do not want to lose i don't want to sacrifice that because once again college football is changing so much but what is great about it is the pageantry what, what is great about it is the rivalries that is what is unique and i don't want it to lose its flavor just for the sake of of money and commercialism and, and all that stuff. So I, I hope that it can still, I hope it can still keep its flavor, its unique brand, and that is found in the rivalry. So I hope you don't lose Deep South if it were to go to that. But in the SEC's case, it is probably best to go to a pod system. 
Yeah, and I, I don't really want to see divisions go, but I agree with you. With with that many teams at that point, I think you're going to have to you're going to have to expand your horizons a little bit, and I think you're going to have to 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 break out of the mold. And something that the drive, you know, I was board hopping for about a week there, and it's something that uh, Bill Cameron and I were going back and forth on here on ESPN 106.7 is how would we schedule things, and we had come up with well. You take your you take three rivals of each team, right, and you have those as locks as home and away, permanently, and then you just rotate the extra six teams. I liked out of a Bill. Night. Yeah, yeah, I liked what Bill brought up, and that's definitely a possibility where you take the uh, the rest of the six teams out of a nine game conference schedule and you just rotate them, and it's a set of four years, right? So you go home and away, home and away, right, and then the schedule resets itself. So I think that's a way to do it, but again, I'm gonna miss divisions, man. It was it worked. At some point though, you kinda you outgrow it. And yeah. that that's what's happened here, I think. Let's switch to our next headline in our making headlines segment. We spent twelve minutes on the first headline. That's I'm here for that though. That is the big headline today. Is the Big Twelve seriously considering adding BYU? And that was reported by the Athletic. I'll say this real quick about that before we move on. I already did this on NCAA Football 14. That was one of the first things that I did because the Big 12 at that time did not have a conference title game, and you had to get them to 12 teams to have a conference title game. I said, well, let's add Houston and BYU. It makes sense. And it worked out great for BYU. Now, they haven't won the league, but they're in the top 25 most years. Recruiting is on an uptick. The program is growing. Just saying, I did my trial run. Maybe it'll work. Let's move to our second headline here. We didn't get to this really yesterday. Charlie Brewer named the starting quarterback for Utah. This moves the needle on the Utes for me. We all knew he was going to start, but officially announced now. And they're really going to be trying to push Arizona State and USC for that divisional title in the Pac-12 South. Yeah, Charlie Brewer transferring to Utah, all 9,600 passing yards of him coming to the Utes. And obviously, yeah, from Baylor being named the starter. I mean, like you've talked about before, Noah, you're really high on this team. They're an incredibly experienced group, and it felt like quarterback was kind of one of the. If, if there was a missing piece on this team, it was the missing piece. And now that they've found their guy in Brewer, and he's had major su- success at another Power 5 school that was competing legitimately, I mean, was, was in the Big 12 championship, uh, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they compete in, in their division in the Pac-12. And like you said, competing with USC and Arizona State, it's going to be the Pac-12 is going to be fun this year, I feel like. Temporary Big 12 member, Texas, Steve Sarkeesian, says that he isn't ready to name a starter for the Texas opener against Louisiana. Right, and initially I thought, just based off what I had seen seen in the bowl game and based on what I had seen early in the spring, that it was going to be Casey Thompson. But reports that I've read recently have said Sarkeesian is kind of leaning towards Hudson Card, but he's not really pleased with either of their performances, which is, which is shocking to me. Uh, I, I think at this point... With all of the offensive talent that Texas has and the offensive mind that Sarkeesian is, all of that talent, they've got to be able to name a starting QB at some point to make sure that he's the guy and he's comfortable in this complex system. I, you, you've got to get him at some point. It, it concerns me, if I'm a Texas fan, that he's not, he's not been able to label that guy yet with just a week away. Uh, from college football starting could this not be though a situation where Steve Sarkeesian knows the position so well and expects such a high standard from the position that neither of those quarterbacks maybe haven't reached that line yet and he's waiting right. for the first one to get there right I, I think that's definitely a possibility I think that's definitely a possibility and who knows like this offense regardless of whether or not they do name one now they don't wait, name one till the opener uh, I think this offense is going to have success one way or another because Sarkeesian is an incredibly talented offensive mind, and he does expect a lot of things out of his quarterbacks. 
Moving out of college football to the NFL, ESPN's Adam Schefter today reported that Jameis Winston is the starting quarterback for the Saints come week one. How many dubs are they going to be eating this year, Noah? How many do you think? Do they make Do they make the playoffs? I think they do. Now, they made some offseason decisions where they lost some talent, but I do think that they did the best they could with their current financial situation to retain as much talent as possible around Jameis Winston. And Jameis Winston's been a quarterback that I've been very high up on, much higher than the average person, mainly because... The average person would think that 30 interceptions in a season is absolutely insane, which it is, but also look at the fact that he threw for like 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. The guy's got the ability to win you any game on your schedule. He does. He's got the ability to win you any game on your schedule. He's also got the ability to lose you, and I stress this, lose you any game on your schedule. It could be the worst team on your schedule, and he could pop off for five interceptions and bam you lose right so there has been the high risk high reward with Jameis Winston in his career Sean Payton is a coach though that I trust to if he can cut those interceptions in half if I could just get an interception a game out of Jameis Winston maybe throw 16 17 picks this year but still give me 30 to 35 touchdowns and maybe just a little bit lower than you know that 5,000 yard season if I can get that type of year you know out of Jameis Winston or, or 4,000 yards or however many it was a couple years ago. If I can get that type of production again, Jameis Winston is going to be a very talented quarterback in the NFL. You just got to fix that touchdown-interception ratio. Right, and what's it going to take to fix it? Everybody say it with me. He's got to be focused and having fun. That's what it's going to take in order for Jameis Winston uh, to, uh, to take the next step. He's got to be focused and having fun. Didn't Taysom Hill, like I think it might have been even today, sign a pretty big contract extension as well? Like, they I'm, like Taysom Hill for some reason. They're just gonna they're just doling out money. It's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we've named Winston our starting quarterback, but here's here's more money than he's getting, I think. But I go back to five thousand one hundred nine yards in two thousand nineteen. Thirty three touchdowns, thirty picks. The thirty picks, once again, stress this any game on the Buccaneers schedule back then, fair game for them to lose because he might throw three to five interceptions in it. But if you can Shave that down a bit and have 33 TDs to 17 picks this year. One, one a game, just one pick a game. That record flips and the Buccaneers would have been in the playoffs probably. And the Saints are much more talented around Jameis Winston. He's got Michael Thomas to throw to. There's real talent around him and I think he's got the right direction with his coaching staff. I think Jameis Winston, is it's going to work out in New Orleans. And we've seen at this point, through the preseason this year, and even last year, I think we've seen legitimate growth from the quarterback. They wouldn't be starting this guy if they didn't believe in him. The Saints are trying to win, and I think that they do get back to the playoffs. Just something about this feels like it's going to work. So that's where I stand with Jameis Winston. Last one here before we go to break, making headlines segment right here. While the, the Atlanta Braves haven't been playing since they dropped two games in a row, to the New York Yankees they've been off for a couple days they start a series today against the San Francisco Giants tonight and it's a pretty good pitching matchup ex-brave Kevin Gossman taking on Max Fried tonight so this is going to be one of the more entertaining games from a pitching standpoint and offensive standpoint between these two squads but while the Braves haven't been playing the Philadelphia Phillies and the Mets have been losing and namely the Philadelphia Phillies have been losing two bad teams they're on a three-game losing streak now while playing the Arizona Diamondbacks, who have the second-worst record in all of baseball. And the Phillies now five and a half games back behind the Braves. Yeah, and both teams, both the Phillies and the Mets, are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. And while Atlanta might have lost those two games to, uh, to New York, or, um, yeah, to New York, they're st- they still have a five-and-a-half game lead. 
uh, and their division, like you mentioned, because it the Phillies are losing. Yeah, it grew, surprisingly. So they've got to be able to take advantage of the fact that they are playing the Giants at home because there are the Phillies that are losing at home to the Diamondbacks currently, and they've got a four-game series against them. You thought that would have been... Uh, not not a lock for a for a sweep there, but you definitely feel like you can you can take three of those games. But you know, it, it the the Braves happen to have an opportunity to get right back on track, and I think they will. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we resume with more of on the line. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's time for our new weekly segment, Talking Ball with Buster Daniel, Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel on the line with us today. Coach, how you doing today? Man, I'm great. It's a Friday morning. Yeah, we're at school. Everything's good, and uh, I'm doing great. Sunshine. Going back to last week, tough start to the season against Chambers Academy. The guys went out there, played hard, competed what things were you seeing from your guys out there in game one? Well, I was seeing that they had you know, lined up better on defense. Uh, we did a lot of good things. Uh, the score doesn't show it, uh, but we were better. But, you know, that's not what we're here for, to be better. We're here to win football games. Um, but, but things were better. We just made a lot of mistakes early in the first game. Um, you know, missed some tackles, dropped some passes, uh, had some silly mistakes on as far as penalties. Uh, and you can't do that against a good football team, and that's what we did, and uh, they took advantage of it. And so we, we've got to get better as a team on doing little things right. Looking back at that game still, what were maybe some of the good things that you could see from this team? I know you just spoke a little bit about the defense. Kind of elaborate on that. Yeah, you know, we, we were in position better. You know, uh, last year I think we were confused a lot on defense. Um, at least the guys were in the right place this time. We didn't make tackles like we should, and we worked on that this week. But, uh, like I said, we were in position to make the tackles, just didn't do it. But, uh, overall, I thought the guys understood what we were doing better and played a lot harder. With a week in the books now, you've guys gotten to play a game, and then you get to go into a bye week. How good does it feel to be back out there and have a game under your belt and to just be back in the regular season? Well, it's good. You know, the kids get tired of practicing. They get tired of seeing each other. Uh, they get tired of scrimmage against each other. Uh, so anytime we can get a lineup against another team, an opposing team, that's better for them. Uh, we've had a week off. And, uh, you know, after our first game, the things, the mistakes we've made uh, and, and not being aggressive enough, you know, we went out Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and worked on Lee Scott. Uh, we're not worried about Glenwood yet. we got to get ourselves better uh, to, to be able to compete, uh, you know, against any team. Uh, so we've done that this week. And, again, it's good to have a little time off to, to correct mistakes uh, and get ready for Glenwood next week. But, like I said, we worked on Lee Scott this week, and uh, and we've gotten better. We've learned how to be aggressive. we learned how to tackle. You know, just doing things that we need to work on ourselves. And uh, so it's been a good week for that. From being at practice, it looked like some drills designed to get these guys hitting, continuing to work on fundamentals as well. How did the guys respond to that this week? Well, they responded well. You know, we've, we've done a lot of film study, and, and they saw the mistakes they made. You know, we can correct mistakes. We can fix anything that they're not doing the right way. Um, what we're trying to get across to them is effort. You know, we can't coach effort. That comes from them. Um, and if they'll give effort and go 100%, you know, we can fix their mistakes. And that's kind of what we did this week. Uh, you know, we, we worked on tackling. We worked on blocking. And uh, that's, that's what, what football is all about. You block and tackle and you give effort. You know, good things happen. In what ways did the team improve this week? I know you were mentioning that these guys took a step forward. How did they take a step forward? Well, just on, on tackling and being in position and, uh, and just being tough. You know, football is a tough game for tough people, and that's what we're trying to strive for them right now. 
that, you know, you got to be tough. you got to play this game hard. And, uh, you know, just, just be in a position to make it a tackle once you're there. And uh, that's, that's the thing we worked on this week. So, you know, I think they've made strides and, and uh, you know, just being just being tougher people this week. You know, we but, again, we're tired of hitting each other. We need to go hit Glenwood next week. <laughs> and moving forward, yeah, Glenwood is next week. And you've gotten to be a part of this rivalry for one year. What kind of things have you taken away from the Lee Scott-Glenwood rivalry, not just football but all sports? Well, you know, it, it, it's, a close, it's a close rivalry. Uh, you know, and, and you know, they, this is the only only game where they put on shirts that says "Beat Beat Glenwood." We don't wear Beat Chamber shirts. We don't beat making these shirts. We we wear make, Beat Glenwood, and that so it's a rival for those guys. And uh, you know, they it, 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 it's a rivalry that you expect. I mean, it's close close game, and uh, you know these guys want to beat Glenwood as bad as anybody. So uh, we're gonna get to work Sunday on beating Glenwood, and not just worry about Lee Scott now, but. You know, it doesn't get any easier because they are they are runner-up in the uh, state championship in 3A. Uh, so they're a very good football team. We've got to play our best to be in the game and then have a chance to win it. What does the mentality shift look like to focusing on Glenwood next week? In your experience in coaching in rivalry games, is that week leading up to that ball game, is there just a little bit more fire in everybody? I think it is. I think it is. You know, the guys, they, they like I said, they want to beat Glenwood. Because uh, they're so close, and they've been playing playing these guys since they were in peewee. So uh, you know, it, it, the, the the mentality steps up a little bit to want to win this game really bad. And uh, you know, so I see I've seen a, a little change in them. The little difference, you know, you want to beat Chambers, but you know, Chambers it doesn't mean that much other than you know we want to win the game. This is a, a region game; it's a rivalry. So you know, the guys have stepped up a little more, and it's a little more important to them, and they, they're showing it right in practice. Of course, there are other rivalry games happening around the area in week two in high school football or, or game two for a lot of teams ends up being a rivalry game. But then sometimes you've got some that happen late in the season, which is kind of the big difference between college and high school. You may not have a preference there, but what advantages may there be to play such a tough game this early in the season? Well, you know, we talked about before, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. And we're playing the best in the first three or four games of our season. Um, so, you know, if we can improve week to week and get better in those games, you know, we want to win on the course. But if we get better at things we didn't do well the week before and, you know, we peak at the right time, that's what it's all about. And uh, playing tough games in the early season, that lets you know where you are, what you got to do to be where they are, and uh, shows our kids what we need to work on. Talking about Glenwood here, I, I know they blanked Bessemer Academy 31-0 to last week. What kind of things? I know y'all haven't been totally focusing on them, but maybe what 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 are some things that have slipped through that you've been able to see about the Gators? Well, you know they're 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 a good football team. They're very talented. Uh, maybe not as disciplined as they need to be in a lot of places, and I hope we can take advantage of that. Um, you know, we're going to do some things to try to get them out of position, uh, and if we do that, and we can and we can accomplish that, I think we can be successful against them. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule today to come and speak to us. Just, I hope you have a great day and enjoy teaching class. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you calling and appreciate what you do for Lee Scott. That was Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel for another week's edition of Talking Ball with Buster Daniel. A little bit shorter on a bye week, but next week with college football getting started as well as a rivalry game with the Glenwood Gators. A lot to talk about and a lot to look forward to on next week's edition of Talking Ball with Buster Daniel. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just about 30 minutes left in the Friday edition of On the Line, and then folks are leaving work. They're going to be headed to high school football stadiums, and there's a game of particular interest tonight in the Auburn-Opelika area, the Auburn-Opelika rivalry. And to talk to us about it, we've got Auburn High School play-by-play announcer Scott Bagwell with us. Scott, how you doing today, my man? Good, Noah. How are you doing? Doing really well, and this is obviously uh, this is an amped-up day in the high school football season. These two communities coming together, separated by by just one road, Opelika Road. I mean, they're, they're, these two communities very tight, of course, and people know around here how important this rivalry game is. Talk to us about that, especially for some folks that may be listening from outside the Auburn-Opelika area, how important this rivalry game is to the regular season for both of these two teams. Yeah, I mean when 6A, 7A uh, got created, it, set, it, it created um, – it changed robbery, robbery a little bit because it went 6A, 7A. But before then, it was always area an in-area game, in-region game, um, always the last game of the year. It, and it was, it was you know, it, it's the town over. You know, it, it, it gets on the same level as, you know, Hoover, Vestavia and, and those type of robberies. It's um, it's a three minute drive to the other uh, to the other town. Um, you can go from right down one street and go from one stadium to the other. So it's a uh, it's a it's a unique rivalry. It's an intense rivalry, and um, it's going to be a packed house tonight. And I'm looking forward to it. Of course, Auburn. You and I were talking before last week on early Friday of last week. We were talking about that park crossing matchup and. And uh, I gave Park Cross and Benford out that maybe they'll score some points. They didn't. Auburn blanked them 45-0 to last Friday night. What's kind of the scene looking like for Auburn going into this ball game against Opelika? Uh, you know, for Auburn, this whole year it's going to be the line of scrimmage. They got some talent on both sides of the ball. Defensively, um, they're going to force you to throw the ball. Uh, there's, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That, that's what they're going to do. Uh, they held Park Crossing to negative 54 rushing yards on the night um, and just three total yards uh, for the night. So um, if you're going to beat Auburn, you're going to have to get some big plays over the top and find ways to, to create some space outside because they're just not going to let you run the ball. And offensively, that's what they're going to look to do is run the ball. Uh, you know, when you got – future power five uh offensive lineman that's what you do uh you find a way to run the ball i think that's what auburn is going to try to do tonight and uh whichever team's able to establish the line of scrimmage and not make mistakes in a game where you have 16 17 18 year old kids with a bunch of energy um you know whoever can get settled and, and get back into playing just basic football is going to be uh going to be better off what are you looking at on the other side of the football against Opelika? Of course, they always challenge themselves with a difficult schedule to open up the year. Their their non-region schedule is always extremely difficult. They they play the likes of Callaway every year, Central. They, they're always challenging themselves, including Auburn, of course, in a non-region game tonight. What did you see? What what do you know about Opelika after their week one loss to Callaway? Uh, you know, for them, it's it, it forever and always will start on the um... – on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, they're fast, physical, they get after it. Um, 
that's what their head coach, uh, Eric Spiegman, he moved over. He went, he's, he's a defensive guy, was a D.C., now is the head coach. Um, you know, that's where it starts. But they're also able to create explosive plays on the on the offensive side and in special teams. That's how they were able to score against Callaway. They had a big kick return to get them back into the game. Every time they got punched in the mouth, they came right back swinging. Um, Callaway just had the lane to the last punch with a late pick and then the field goal. Um, you know, they, they have an explosive athlete in, in Stinson. He's going to play both sides of the ball. Um, and that if they're able to get him in space and if they're able to create some big plays with him, uh, they'll be able to, to pull the quote-unquote upset. Um, you know, I don't view anybody as a favorite or, or what have you in this game. Um, Auburn, I guess, is a high – I think Auburn's a high-ranked team. But, uh, but these are two really good teams that have state championship uh, goals on the season. Clyde Pittman, obviously, in the win over Park Crossing, incredibly efficient. Is that all Auburn's going to ask him to do is just be efficient and manage the game and let the running backs and the offensive line just kind of take control? I think you're going to see uh, uh, Auburn take some shots tonight. They didn't really try to stretch the field that much against Park Crossing. A lot of RPOs, throw the ball underneath the ground, Um or throw the ball underneath, really, with some screens, some slip screens, some tunnel screens, and things like that. Uh, but I think you're going to see Auburn try to take advantage of, uh, you know, when you have a good offensive line, you hear people say, you know, run the ball, this, that, and the other. But that also means they can pass protect, too. Uh, so I think Auburn might uh, see if they can test the secondary a little bit, uh, get their receivers in some one-on-one situations, and, th- and try to take the top off. Of course, we all know how last season ended for the Auburn High School football program. What's kind of the mentality going into this year for this group? Haven't gotten to speak with you yet, really, on air about this team going into this regular season. Week two, what type of mentality does this team have going throughout this year? When I talked with Coach Estridge about that last year, you know, what he said, guy, is is it's never a rebuilding year. You know, uh, in high school football, if you ever have that mentality, you're doing your seniors a discredit and a, and a, and a disservice because – in high school football, there's a lot of times kids wait two years of playing JV, playing scout team, biding their time, waiting for their opportunity to play just one football season. And if you don't look, go all out to do everything you can to win that one football season, it's not fair to them. Their eyes are obviously down the road to, to have an opportunity to win a state championship. Um, but that's a long way down. That's that's all the way in December. Right now, it's, it's to get better every single week. I know the coaches who were brutally honest with me last week said in, in the midweek last week they did not have a good week of practice. They feel like they've had a very good week of practice. Um, and to, to, it's an a old saying from old coaches that uh, the biggest growth is from game one to game two. They felt like they have grown a lot uh, here this week. Of course, in a 45-0 to victory over Park Crossing, it might be difficult to see this, but you're a coach yourself. You know how to pick through some of that stuff. How might Auburn be able to improve going into game two against Opelika, where you probably will be able to see some of that against a much better football team? You know, in the run game, it was one guy missed a block, missed an assignment, and it was a different guy every single, you know, it wasn't like it was one guy that had a bad day. You'd see some uh, highlight-level O-line play, but on the guy right next to him, he misses the block. And so instead of getting seven, eight yards a game, you would see three or four. 
Um, yeah, I expect that to be cleared up a little bit. Uh, defensively, there were times where the first guy that got to the ball carrier did not make the play. Uh, against a better competition, that can be a problem because your first guy that you get to the ball carrier might be the only guy that you can get to the ball carrier before it's 15, to, uh, 20 yards or even more. So um, I think that's the area where you can see Auburn clean up. You know, first guy there makes the tackle, um, you know, run the ball a little bit, push the ball down the field, things like that. Um, but uh, there was a lot of positive from that. And But, you know, there's always areas to get better. To, and, and the other thing is a lot of guys making their first uh, start in Auburn high uniforms. Um, you know, maybe they, they played well and they played elsewhere, but, but first time playing with uh, the person next to them. So that's the big thing is just to kind of gel together and, and uh, continue to grow as the season going. Because even though this is a big one, uh, next week is, a more, is, is region play. And, uh, you know, it would, it would be great to go 2-0, but you need to just continue to get better and better and better and make sure you're ready for region play next week. Auburn obviously has a lot of different really popular names on their on their roster. Eston Harris, Powell Gordon, Clyde Pittman, uh, Davis Harson. Is there a guy that's kind of kind of in the shadows right now that we haven't been talking about enough that could potentially have a breakout type of year? Um, in the area, it's probably going to be you know I'll, I'll give you a couple names. Um, if you're not familiar with him on the offensive side, Bakari Daly had two touchdowns last week. Um, he had eight a year ago at Oxford. That's a name that uh, I think Auburn's going to try to get him in space, and he's going to be the one to kind of take the uh, top off the defense. on the. Uh, and then running the ball, uh, Duke Woods. Uh, I think he's going to have a big night tonight. And on the defensive side, Auburn High has some really good corners and Carson Yancey, who had three picks in this game a year ago, and Nasir Pogue, uh, who was, uh, had, should have had a pick six yes, last week, rather, uh, and it got called back. I think Auburn's got two really, really good corners in, in Yancey and Pogue, and that kind of made that, makes it even easier for Auburn to feel comfortable turning the pressure up uh, with some blitz packages. In order for Auburn to win tonight, what do they absolutely have to do? Just a few keys from you tonight. Be clean. You know, um, uh, I think Coach Speakman said it in the paper uh, today, and, and he's right in that as big of a game as this is and a rivalry game and everybody's amped up, who can play clean? Last year, Auburn didn't turn the ball over, uh, played, uh, played clean football and got the big win. Two years ago, Auburn commits over 100 yards worth of penalties against Opelika, and even though they had a big lead early, Opelika came back and got the win. Uh, be clean. Don't turn the ball over. Don't commit penalties. Um, if I think Auburn's got a defense, and, and most teams that have a state championship uh, dreams, and Opelika, you can say the exact same thing about. Uh, if you force an offense to go set 60, 70, 80 yards against them, uh, it's going to be pretty darn tough. So which defense and special teams can set up their offense with a short field and take advantage of it, I think is going to be the victor tonight. Looking outside of Auburn and Opelika tonight, of course, week two is a little bit more, just like in college football and high school football, although you do get some rivalry sprinkled in and out, you're pretty much, you're not playing all of your top dogs in week two. This is a little bit more of a down week in high school football for matchups. But up to this point, are there any other teams, 7A or lower, that maybe have caught your eye outside of the game that is tonight? You know, um, 
I know Hoover went to Georgia last week and got a and got a big win. Um, Thompson goes to Oxford and and, and proves that they're they're going to be as good as ever um, with what uh, with what they did. I know um, Central and Eufaula play tonight. I'm interested to see what happens there. Eufaula last year was able to get a victory, and it kind of started this this questioning of Patrick Nix and the Red Devils. Uh, uh, team and they just go on to, to go to the final four for their sixth straight year. Um, I'm interested in what happens in Phoenix City with that game. Um, you know, Phoenix City uh, Central for the first time in uh, probably 20 since 2013, 2012. Flying so a little bit under the radar, but that's still a really, really good football team. Um, I'm interested to see uh, what happens. What, what happens in that game? And then I think uh, I think St. Paul's and Spanish Sports score off in a top bad in a top battle down in Mobile. Um, you know, St. Paul or St. or sorry, Spanish Sport now number one in six A. Um, it seems like every time you kind of write off the Toros, they just find a way to be really really good and contend for a state title. What about any thoughts on region opponent Prattville? That game coming up later on this year, of course, but. Thoughts on Prattville? That's next week, actually. I thought that's that was a little bit later week, on. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts on Prattville? I know that they're taking on their rivalry game against Stanhope Elmore and thumped Wetumpka last week, forty-one yeah. to thirteen. Yeah, they go to Wetumpka. Wetumpka opens up their brand new stadium, and the Lions want nothing to do with that and get a big win. Uh, you know, Prattville, a new head coach, but uh, Prattville is Prattville. They're going to be athletic. They're going to have some athletes outside. They're going to be able. They're going to make you earn it. Um, you know, last year that defense was really, really good. I know, I know they had some players graduate, but um, that's going to be a, another. You know, you, Auburn's got some some games early in the season that you can kind of measure measure yourself and see how good you are. Obviously, one tonight, but um, when you're talking about open up the region with Prattville, it doesn't get a whole lot more difficult than that, especially on the road at Prattville. Um, that's a very, very good team. And, and, uh, and Prattville, I know they feel like uh, they have an opportunity, especially if they can get a win against Auburn at home, to maybe propel themselves uh, right into the to the region championship hunt. I don't think, you know, Central has, has kind of run the region so much and Auburn won it last year. People don't realize that usually the teams that finish second or third still have one or two region losses. So uh, going 1-0 in the region is going to be huge for either Prattville and Auburn next week. Scott, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can hear the Auburn Opelika broadcast tonight. It's going to be on 6.30 on Wings 94.3. Myself and uh, former head coach Robert Maddox will have all the action starting at 6.30, kickoff at 7. Appreciate it, Scott. I hope you have a good call tonight, my man. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. That was Scott Bagwell, Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer. Once again, as Scott said, 6.30 pregame on Wings 94.3 and kickoff at 7. That's how you can listen to the Auburn High Sports Network broadcast of tonight's Auburn Opelika football game. Also, uh, if you don't have your tickets by now, you know maybe there's still some opportunities out there to go and find some. That's going to be a fun football game in the area here in Week 2 and one of those games that you've got to keep your eye on if you're a big high school football fan on your Friday night. Let's take a quick break. When we when we come back, we wrap up the show. <laughs> Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
We've had a fun hour number two. We had a fun hour number one. We had Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com on with us today to talk all things Auburn, getting us ready for that open practice tomorrow in Jordan-Hare Stadium, as well as giving us recruiting tidbits, taking us through another week of fall camp as fall camp's over, man. I mean, for all intents and purposes, next week it's game week. I don't consider that fall camp. And then hour number two, we spoke with Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel, as well as Auburn High School football play-by-play announcer Scott Badwell. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. I want to wrap up today's show before we get to the drive with Bill Cameron from 4 to 6 p.m. as they do every weekday, taking your calls on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. I want to wrap up today's show talking about week zero, going back to some of our picks and taking a look at this schedule. Nebraska at Illinois, noon kickoff on Fox. That's noon central time. Lance, Brett Billima making his debut with the Illinois fighting Illini. Yeah, and Scott Frost in Nebraska kind of on a slide right now, both on and off the field. Going to be interesting to see if they can pick things back up on the road against Illinois to start the season. Uh, you and I were giving our picks earlier in the show. I think Illinois is going to win this game. Brandon Peters, former Michigan quarterback, has thrown 21 touchdowns over the course of his two seasons with the fighting Illini. Going to be interesting to see if – Illinois can keep pace with Nebraska because I think they offensively have the talent to win this game I just I just don't know if their head's in the right place right now the thing about Nebraska and both of these teams not great in the trenches and I think Illinois got much better line play comparing these two squads especially when you look at last season's matchup between Nebraska and Illinois where Illinois racked up 285 rushing yards and almost had 300 rushing yards last year in this ballgame for the fighting line that they won 41 to 23 and that was one of Illinois two wins last year 18 starters are back I think there is a lot to like about this Illinois team very hard for me to gauge what Brett Bielema is going to contribute to this program in this first game how much better can they be from what they have been especially with the quarterback play but I, what I like about Nebraska so much which I do think they have an edge here Nebraska I think has better skill position players than Illinois I think you're looking at a better skill position football team but Illinois in the trenches and I'm curious to see how it pans out I'm riding with Adrian Martinez though quarterback play I think is a little bit better in Nebraska than Illinois at this point I feel bad for Brett Bielema in a way because normally whenever you rise up the coaching ranks like you continue to rise like you get you you upgrade in terms of like the schools that you coach at like you you go from uh, a, a group of five school to maybe a better group of five school then you go from that to a power five school and you move your way up instead of for Bielema it goes Wisconsin Arkansas Illinois it just kind of feels like it's downgrade downgrade, downgrade. Well, hindsight is 2020 but looking back at the Bielema career kind of odd to see the move from Wisconsin to Arkansas when you look at what he had going at Wisconsin at the time right I mean you think back to some of those running backs like Monty Ball that might have been at the very end if he hadn't already left by that point but I just think they always had the big uglies up front they always had great offensive lines and great running games and consistently they were one of the best teams in the Big Ten he had them in Rose Bowls was uh Melvin Gordon there during the Chris era or that would have been after that would have been after he, he was at Arkansas by that point yeah, that would have been the Christ point. It was after Bielema. That was what I was yeah. saying, yeah. Another game out there, Hawaii-UCLA, 2.30 p.m. ESPN. Both of us have UCLA. This is our first look at them before they get to play LSU. Interesting topic that you and I haven't brought up yet about this game. Is this a benefit to UCLA that they get to play this ball game before they play LSU next week at home? I don't know if, it, with, with all the experience that UCLA has 
transitioning from 2020 to 2021, I think this group kind of knows each other. I think they know what they want to go out there and do. So if I'm UCLA, I don't want to put more things on tape when before playing uh, LSU. So I don't know if it's necessarily a huge benefit. I think it helps them get their feet under them, though. That's get the true. ground running, get going, already kind of work out some of that off-season rust. I think it's a good thing. I don't know how much. I don't know if it helps them win that game against LSU, but LSU's still practicing this weekend, right? And, and right. UCLA's, they're hitting the ground running. Yeah, it, there's definitely a, a positive and negative way to look at it. But yeah, absolutely. It'll, it'll, it'll help them knock off some of that rust, and it's something that, you know, for Auburn, they've got two weeks of that. So it's definitely a good thing for sure. Right. That's it for another edition of On the Line, another week of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday, same time, same place. We'll have football to talk about. We look forward to it. We'll see you on Monday. You know where to find us.